Amen. Good morning, all. If you want to turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. And have that open before you. We'll continue where we left off last week. We began a new series last week called He's Got Nothing on Me. And it's based on some words that Jesus said in Luke's Gospel. Uh, uh, sorry, in John's Gospel, which is not, not the one I want you to look up now, but in, in, in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 30, he said a fantastic thing. And it's, it's a line of all the lines in the Bible. I can't think of anything that I would love to say more and to really mean it and for it to be the total truth than that one. To walk through the world, to walk in life and say, the devil has got nothing, nothing on me. Right? And over the weeks, we'll explain exactly what I mean by that. Because I think with our, with our minds, our thinking, our lives, sin and all, ty- all kinds of problems, the devil does get stuff on us. And that's what this series is about, to see what Jesus said and to, to, to move ourselves towards that kind of freedom. It's actually a series about Christian freedom. What is Christian freedom? In Galatians chapter, one, chapter 5 verse 1, Paul says it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. What freedom? What kind of freedom is that talking about? Well, obviously he's talking about freedom from the law. But if I could have my next slide there, please. It was freedom from three principal things. And we saw that last Sunday night. Freedom from the world, the flesh, and the devil. There's many ways you could look at the freedom that Christ offers you. But I think this is probably one of the simplest and one of the easiest to understand. And also one of the ones that the Bible leads us towards. It's an easy way to break it down. Freedom from the world and all that is in the world. And the Bible gives us one book particularly that focuses on that, the book of one John. You know, there was a revival recently in Bogota, in Colombia. A church went from 500 to 250,000, just like that. And the pastor of that church made every new convert read constantly the book of one John. Because he saw it as so crucial in the Bible. He thought, if I can just get the truths of one John into the church, they'll be free. We're going to look at that tonight, that book. Secondly, freedom from the flesh. And that's where Galatians comes in. It was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, stay free. And lastly, freedom from the devil. And that's where the book of Ephesians comes in. So, we get free from the world. The world is called darkness in one John. We get free from the darkness by walking in the light. We get free from the flesh by crucifying it. And that's what we're going to look at today by really controlling our diet. And this morning is actually about point two, controlling our flesh, having a good spiritual diet. We're going to talk about diets today, ladies. I shouldn't say ladies only, but you know what I mean. About five or six years ago, all day, every day, all you heard about was diets. And then it it, it sort of culminated in the Atkins diet, remember? And then he died and everybody left that one, right? All sorts of diet. It's not quite as common now. But listen to this list. There's an anti-aging diet. There's a blood type diet. There's a fruitarian diet. That sounds like a religious order or something. There's a macrobiotic diet. A paleolithic diet. A raw food diet. A vegan diet. I'm not on any of these. Vegetarian diet. Whole food diet. And my wife invented a few of her own, you know? The first one she came up with was a small plate diet. Now, have you ever heard of that? I didn't, and this is absolutely the truth. This is what happened. 
A couple of years ago, she comes in, I get my dinner in the normal big plate, you know, loads of food on it, and she comes in with this dainty, tiny little thing with not much on it. And I said, what's with the dish, you know? And she said, oh, started my diet. It's a small plate diet. <laughs> you don't eat the plate. You eat the food on the plate. Anyway, that got off to a good start. The next day, in she comes, dutifully with a little plate. And I look over, well done, day two. By day five, there was so much stuff <laughs> packed on that plate that you had to battle like the lean entire pizza. <laughs> Piling it on there. It started well, but it didn't finish well. Have you heard of this one? The female stress diet. It starts off in the, in the morning with a slice of lemon and a nice cup of herbal tea. For lunch, you have dry toast, herbal tea, and one chocolate biscuit. For dinner, you have the rest of the chocolate biscuits, two bottles of Coke, two loaves of garlic bread, and a family-sized pizza. And then you get up in the middle of the night, and you have one full tub of Sara Lee chocolate ice cream. Yeah, that sounds about right. It starts well, but it doesn't finish well. And the worst one of all is actually a diet for drug addicts. Diet Coke. That's bad. There's all sorts of diets. Some of you didn't get that. There's all sorts of diets, but none of them, none of them are the one that the Bible leads us to. When it comes to overcoming our flesh, it's none of those, folks. It's a completely different issue. It's a spiritual diet. And what we want to do today is just pause your life and we just hang on a minute, stop everything, and think about your spiritual diet. Chinadu was leading a few Fridays back, the Friday night prayer meeting. And what, something he said was very you know, pertinent for what we're sharing today. He said, if I invited you to a meal in a really swanky restaurant, the best restaurant I could find, and I said, meet me there at half past seven, and we'll bring in the best chefs in the country. And you said, okay. And that day comes, and seven o'clock, you go to McDonald's, and you have a big breakfast. 12 o'clock, you go to Pizza Hut and you have a, a buffet. And you just pop into Subway on the way to the restaurant just to grab a quick sub. Now, would you do that? In light of the fact of what's just about to happen, in light of the fact that someone is going to lay before you the finest affair, would you prepare properly for that? Or would you come already stuffed? And that's, I mean, it's very poignant, folks. I know it's a common example, but I want you to think about it a moment. Because believe me, appetite plays a very great part when it comes to God. Could I have my next slide, please? You see, there's three things, there's three reasons why you wouldn't stuff yourself that day. The first one is anticipation. That you would have a very good anticipation that you were going to a good restaurant, you're going to have a good meal. And if you believe that and appreciated it, it would cause that. You would have anticipation. You should have respect for the person who's doing the cooking, right? You should hold yourself off. You know, not just eat anything, but hold yourself out of respect for yourself, self-respect, and respect for what they are preparing for you. And you see, if you do number one, and you do number two, it will end up in number three. It will end up with a life of excitement. This is not just about McDonald's, by the way. These three principles apply to your spiritual life and my spiritual life. You see, every Sunday, you all arrive here. But different people come in different ways. And for some people, you can't feed them because they don't want it. 
You go to conferences. You see it really clearly there. You could go to a conference where something's being taught or there's a theme. And one group of people will be so excited, pumped up about it. And another group of people... It's all in how they came. It's all in how they arrived. If they arrive stuffed, then it doesn't matter what you're offering. It's the same with the worship. You see, if, if you arrive with an attitude of worship, with a heart of worship, then Eileen could be singing, you know, Old MacDonald Had a Farm, and you'd still be worshipping. <laughs> Amen? Because it, it, it's in your attitude. It's a deeper thing than just the surface. So how did you come today? Or how do you normally come? It really is about how we arrive here, how we approach God. Like it or not, the Bible is absolutely packed with comparisons of your appetite for food with your appetite for God. Cover to cover. All over the place. It's a constant. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He brought me to His banqueting table and on and on and on it goes food your appetite for food is constantly compared to your appetite for God and the point behind it what God is trying to say it's a very simple point but it doesn't make it any the less important the point is this just like your physical diet affects your physical health so your spiritual diet is going to affect everything in due course again you can get away with a bad diet for some time but in due course of course you're going to pay a price for that in my experience one of the most difficult things to do with christian lives is to get them to have a balanced diet you know the balanced diet that's why binging is such a huge thing a balanced diet is very very important crucial the church can't compete, what was it, 168 hours in the week? If all you give God is one hour of concentration on Sunday, you know, no one can compete with that. You can't give the world 167 hours and then come and expect, that's not a balanced diet, right? That's a totally imbalanced diet. And so when we approach our intake, it's got to be holistic. And you've got to look at your life Monday morning, Tuesday. Wednesday, Thursday, and with a very mature, grown-up, adult attitude, you think, what actually is my diet on Wednesday? What is my diet on Tuesday? And how balanced is it? Take a look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and verse 6. Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, and verse 6. It's the place where Mary and Joseph could not find any room in the inn. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them. Do you see that? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, folks, just one moment, please. <laughs> Never read over things. They're always there for a reason. Everything in the Bible, one day you go, ah, now I see. Such a simple little thing. No need to say that. No need, you know, for Luke to record the fact that there was no room. Unless, of course, he was making a point. Unless he wanted you to see, look at me a minute, that when the Christ came into the world, there was no room in the world. The world was actually full of the world. Do you get the point? 
Christ could not get in. They were already full. And again, it's like a comparison to your appetite and mine. If we're already stuffed, then we've got no room for Christ, no appetite for Him. And the truth is, friends, you give God as much room, that is a very good measure, the amount of room you give for God in your life, that's what you think of Him. That's the amount of you know, expectation that you have. That's the amount of anticipation that you have. And that's the amount of respect that you have. Benny Hinn was in Africa and there was a great drought on. And they asked him to, to pray that there would be rains, that the rains would come in. And they prayed and prayed. And the next day he was making his way to the venue and he noticed that there was a child who had an umbrella. Baking sunshine. And the child is walking and he said, you, you got an umbrella? Yeah, you prayed for Rain, Pastor Benny. And the only one with any anticipation. She actually believed it, you see. And all I'm saying, folks, when it comes to your diet, if you believe that God will pour upon you spiritual blessings, you will have to make room for that. Right? And if you anticipate that, that's exactly what you're going to do. The premise of the Bible towards us, the point that God makes is simply this. You have a God-shaped hole. We all do. It's not just a saying. I think it's an absolute fact. Every one of us have a God-shaped hole inside of us. And the point of, of the scripture in this is what do you fill it with? What do you fill it with? You see, God puts that hole there. God puts that, it's a missing jigsaw puzzle piece. And he puts it inside you. But how do you handle it? What do you do with it? You see, he puts it there, but it's your responsibility as to how you fill it. Look at Romans chapter 1 a moment. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Romans 1, 21 says this. For although they knew God, although they had a God-shaped hole inside them, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. They had an appetite but they didn't choose to fill that appetite with God. Instead of fruit and vegetables, it was chocolate and ice cream, right? You see the point? Inside every one of us, there is a hunger for God. But guess what? The world out there will offer you everything, every form of junk to fill that hole. Are you with me? And that's how you overcome the world, like Jesus did. You walk with a spiritual diet. And I want to ask simp six simple questions this morning for you to assess yourself. Don't think about other people. You just think about yourself. And you make an assessment of your current spiritual diet. And the first way to assess your diet is very simple. I think it's Illumide's mum used to say to him when he was growing up, if you don't know what you want to eat, you're not hungry. <laughs> That's a very good point. You know, your body will automatically crave something. But the first point, take a look at it a moment. Don't just pass it by. Do I have a hunger for the Word of God? That is a very good assessment of how my diet actually is. If I don't have a hunger for the Word of God, then what have I stuffed myself with? Because something's in there. Something's taken the place. There was no room. In the end, though Christ came, he couldn't get in. They had no room for him. You know, when our son was at home, he would walk into the kitchen. He was about like, whatever, 14, 15, walk into the kitchen, open the fridge, 
and look into the fridge. And the fridge would be packed with good stuff. And he would look, close the door, turn, turn back and open the fridge again. And look, think about it, and close the door. And turn, five minutes back, look in the fridge. I think, man, that's some fridge. (laughs) Now, there's good food. There's perfectly good food. There's nothing wrong with the food. So what's going on here? You see, Christian, look at me. Open your Bible. That's good. exactly the same thing. It's not the food. The food is abundant. It's not the food. It's in our approach. It's in our diet. It's all in the way we arrive. And James would go there and he would look in the fridge and I would say, you know, we're going to cook dinner in a minute, but he would have had chocolate on the way home from school. He would have had crisps on the way home. I said, don't eat those crisps. In fact, Jeanette does that now. You know, I'm cooking and she's walking. What are you doing? Don't eat that chocolate. It's only small. And we kill our appetite. We lose appreciation for the things of God. We lose respect for the things of God. And then we lose the excitement for the things of God. And it starts with our diet. Do not underestimate how important these things are. Diet's a very personal thing. The church can't do this for you. Diet's a personal thing. It's your thing. That's why I want to think, you think about yourself. Your diet's your problem, pal. Right? It's your issue. Not my issue. This is your issue. One hour a week, 167 out there. What chance does the church have? None. This is your problem. This is your diet. Do you know, I once got a potato and a a bag of smash. You know smash? Have you know smash? You pour boiling water on it, stir it up, it turns into a potato. It's lovely, actually. I got a potato and I was wondering... How much benefit was lost in the process from a normal potato that I can eat, you know, to a bag of smash? And I rang up a dietitian in a local hospital. I said, look, I've got a potato, got a bag of smash. What's the difference? What would be lost as it comes from someone else to me instead of me actually taking a potato myself and cooking it? The dietitian said, well, you could estimate about 45% all the way up to about 80%. Oh, What? Yeah, about 45% will be lost anyway, all the way up to about 80% of the nutritional value of that potato would be lost because I don't do my own diet. You know, wow, and I was shocked at that. I had no idea it would be so high. But so it is, you see. Your diet is your responsibility. And we live in a consumerist culture when it comes to these things where everything's pushed onto the church. No, friend, it'll never work. This is a very personal thing. Let's not move off point number one. Do I have a hunger for the Word of God? Yes or no? And if I don't have a hunger, let's find the answer to the question. What is feeding me then? What is feeding me? What am I eating that's taking the place of that? David didn't have that problem, remember? David said this, As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after you. He chose a deer for a very good reason. You know, a dog pants with its tongue. You know, (laughs) deer doesn't do that. A deer pants with its whole body. And so when a deer wants water, its rib cage starts to move out and it goes, (gasps) and the whole 
of the animal moves back and forward, back and forward. And you can actually see thirst in a deer. You can look at a deer and see the passion with which that deer is seeking water. Like a deer pants after the water, David said, so my soul longs after you. So think of yourself just for a moment. Are the scriptures alive? Or is it a fridge type roundabout mentality that they don't just feed us? Well, then we've got to go back to that. Fast. Fast. And stir up your spiritual appetite once again for God's word. That it would be the source of your diet, the source of your food. Secondly, do I want to have time with God? And again, McDonald's is a very good example. Because you go into McDonald's, they've got this, this restaurant in Dublin. I don't think they've got them anywhere else. It's called Eddie Rockets. And when you walk in, there's a big sign on the wall and it says, eat your food and get out. I think that's very good, you know. And it's that sort of place. It's a fast food place, right? And you just cannot approach God that way. Do you know, our world is a changing world. I think that the people of old would be shocked at the way we live our lives. Everything is so quick. I can't remember the statistics, but I, I should have written them down. I think the average person leaves a queue something like twice a week. That's us. We're Mr. Average. They're standing in a queue. And there's one, but oh, won't bother. And the length of time that people are willing to wait anywhere is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. The trouble is, and this is the absolute truth, we get impatient with our staff, we get impatient with our colleagues, we get impatient with our family, and before you know it, we're impatient with God. And this fast food type attitude, now you may not see it, but I see it all the time. I get it all the time with people coming forward in altar call. They've got a problem. I'm praying for someone. And they wouldn't even wait till you finish praying. They walk off. And you think, man, in a hurry, are you? <laughs> Life can get you like that. Turn to 1 Samuel. Take a look at the cost of being in a hurry. 1 Samuel chapter 13 what was the biggest mistake that Saul ever made? 1 Samuel chapter 13. I'll read first from verse 7. Some, Hebrew, some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited for seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, <coughs> excuse me. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up something he was not allowed to do. And Saul offered up the burnt offering just as he finished making the offering. Samuel arrived and Samuel went out to greet him. What have you done? And look at 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse 14. But now your kingdom, Saul, will not endure because of what you've done. Saul basically felt that God was being a bit slow. A bit slow in his case. If God doesn't hurry up, seven days, Samuel had set, seven days go by. And Saul is so proud in his own heart, he thinks to himself, Do you know what? I'm not waiting. As soon as he starts, Saul turns up. See, that's a fast food type attitude. 
And you cannot have that with God. It simply won't work. We may have it in the shop. You may have it with your family or your friends, but you cannot afford to approach God like that. So how's your hunger for God? Do you want time with God? Will you give Him quality? Or is it the fact that you walk in, you know, on your own at home, maybe five minutes, Lord. Good morning, Lord. And we give God the least instead of the best. Hundreds of people have asked me about callings over the years. Find my calling. I want to find my mission in life. I want to find where I'm going in life. And when you ask, well, what have you done to find that? What, what time have you given God? Sometimes this is about it, you know, five minutes at an altar. And I shared with you before, I, I, I need to seek my, my vision, my life too. But I take it immensely seriously. I told you, I, I was in a church and I wanted to move forward. So I said to God, I'm going to my sister's house actually. And I'm not moving. I'm not moving. I'll give you all the time that it takes. But I need to know where I'm going in life. So I went to my sister's house. It was about 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm in the kitchen. I said, God, I need to know where I'm going. Quality time. And there's nothing else on my agenda. And you don't have to rush. Because I'm not God. You are. 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock. And in the waiting, out comes all sorts of issues within my heart. Things I didn't even think about or know about. But 12 hours later, 12 hours of waiting, and God spoke a word to me about my future. All I'm saying, folks, it's not a quick fix. And if you're looking for your future of your life, be that in your career, in your business, in your ministry, anything, please don't approach God like McDonald's. Because we can. Amen? We can. It gets in our culture. It gets in our system. Thirdly, you can tell a person's diet just by listening to their prayer content, just by listening to prayers. Prayers tell you an awful lot about people. Sometimes they show that a person's really, you know, in a good place with God. Sometimes they can show how negative or far back that person is just by listening to how they pray, what they pray. Prayers can be so far wrong, it's incredible. You take an example, say, of two women, both of whom... Husbands are not saved. And you can listen to one woman and her prayer may go something like this. Oh Lord, he's so deaf. He's so deaf, dumb and blind. Doesn't seem to be moving a millimeter. I gave him the Bible, Lord. He hasn't even picked it up. And on and on the content would go. And what is it telling God what he already knows, right? All negative. And then you see years go by with no salvation in that home. But you can hear another person pray and you can tell their diet. Someone else would walk in and say, God, my father wasn't saved and I prayed and you saved him. My mom wasn't saved and I prayed and you saved him. When I had lack, God, remember, I sought you and you answered me. And the same God who answered me for my dad, who answered me for my mom, who responded to my prayer when I had need, the same God will now save my husband. And you can hear and see faith within a person. You can see it in your prayer context. You see, you're not going to pray like that unless you're putting it in. Right? You are what you eat. Right? We are what we eat. Your body changes its cells every seven years. 
You are what you eat. And it's the same spiritual, in, in terms of spiritual principles. We are what we take in. I fear that the culture in which we live has become so externalized, you know? So externalized. By that I mean that we do want the church to do everything, you know? People come, it's a bit like confession. We can mock, say, the Catholic Church or say that's so silly. Ha, look at them. People can live whatever way they want, go to church, have confession and go back out and live whatever way they want. But it can be not much different in Pentecostal circles where we come to church and it's like liposuction, you know? Do you know what liposuction is? It's gross. You got all your fat contained, you know, within an envelope just inside your skin there. And what they do is they puncture a hole in your skin and they stick like this hoover in and they suck out all the fat, right? And then they staple you up and kick you out and away you go, eat all you want, see you in 10 years time, right? It's, and the church can be approached a bit like spiritual liposuction, but that's not it, is it? What we need to do is change our diet, amen. When I first heard of that, I thought of that's not the worst thing I've ever heard of, heavens above. It's, it's dreadful. It's a bit like someone who's an alcoholic getting a liver transplant and then carrying on with drink, isn't it? It's the same sort of thing. It's a total abuse of any system there. So how's your hunger for the Word? Do we spend time with God? And if so, is that quality time? How's my prayer content? And the, the, the fourth question is, is crucial because this is the one that Jesus was able to reply and it's so good that he's able to say the devil has got nothing on me. Friends, remember, Jesus overcame the world, then the flesh, then the devil. There's an order. He overcame the world first, then the flesh, then the devil. Listen carefully. He worked in the world for 30 years. He would have been a good employee. They wouldn't be saying, you know, where's Jesus today? He's late again. No. Jesus would have been a good employee in the family business. He overcame the world. Then he overcame the flesh, 40 days of fasting, right? So he overcame the world, overcame the flesh. What happened at the end of the fasting? The devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. There was an order there. And there was, it's, it's the same order for us. If the world is going to lose its appeal, then there is a dietary you know, commandment upon us to feed on the word of God and to you know, make him our delight. Sixthly, do I desire fellowship? Love of the church is, is so close to love of Christ. And I love to see, you know, I do the door for security here on Friday night in the, in the prayer meeting. And it's great to see people do arrive differently, you know, <laughs> very differently. For some, they arrive and it's Friday night. It's prayer time. But for some, may as well be the office. We're here because that's what we do. Friday night and if I didn't come people might ring up and ask where I am so I need to be here and for some they enter a bit like McDonald's for others I think of Nom Nom normally arrives a little bit late because you've got the two kids to bring here but I can feel the very presence of God when Nom comes in she brings her kids in puts them down and she walks through that door and it's like yes I'm in the church Yes, I'm in the presence of God's people. And she shakes the world off and enters in. That's how we're supposed to arrive. With a hunger for the fellowship 
of the saints with a hunger for the things of God. And that can very, very quickly fade away if we're not careful. And sixthly, lastly, obviously the ultimate proof. Actually, invite the worship team back. The ultimate proof is very obvious. A good diet will be seen more obviously in the area of evangelism than it will in any other thing. Myself and Jeanette went for a brief holiday to the very same place that Tom and Helen went, actually, not long ago. And I was telling them when we were down there, man, we found a good restaurant. I'm not interested in food. I never have been. But this restaurant was so good, I was shocked. It was absolutely excellent. It was so excellent that I told them about it. The food was so good that I told them about it. And one of the sure signs of a good diet is that you're going to open your mouth. And you're going to be telling people about Jesus Christ everywhere and anywhere. In fact, you just can't hide that, right? Just like health, good health is, is plain to see. Don't think about other people. Think about yourself this morning and do an assessment of your spiritual appetite. Amen? Let's stand. Hallelujah. Lord, we take these things to heart and we pray you would, would put them within our spirit that we would desire like David desired to be with you. Desire the presence of God. As the deer pants for the water, so our soul would long after you. God, come close this morning. Holy Ghost, come close this morning. Give us wisdom about our diet. Give us wisdom about what that which we take in. And God, if there's no room in me, God, forgive me. And I make room. Lord, we clear the decks. We clear out the clutter in our lives. And we give you quality space, quality time. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join us. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.